Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm Rob Hoyle. Getting oxygen to tissues that have been damaged is critical to help the body heal and fight off infection. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy can speed up that process by dramatically increasing the amount of oxygen to an injured area of the body, typically due to crush injuries, chronic wounds resulting from diabetes, or radiation damage, and a host of other conditions. In part one of this two-part conversation, we speak with two world-renowned experts in the field to learn more about this powerful treatment. With us here in the studio is Dr. Owen O'Neill, who is the founding and current medical director of the Department of Undersea and Hyperbaric Medicine at Phelps Hospital, the largest hyperbaric chamber in the Northeastern United States. Welcome, Dr. O'Neill. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. and I really do thank you for having me. Our next guest joins us remotely. John Peters is the executive director of the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society and international nonprofit association serving physicians, scientists, associates, and nurses in the fields of hyperbaric and dive medicine. He is also a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. Dr. O'Neill also helps to lead the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society as president-elect. In addition, he received its 2022 Excellence in Hyperbaric Medicine Award for 30 years of work in the field, which includes extensive research. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but first, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is often associated with deep sea diving, but it's also used to treat a variety of other health problems. Can you explain how hyperbaric oxygen therapy is used in the healthcare setting? Certainly, Rob. That's a great question. So uh, normally, uh, our bodies consume 21% oxygen every time we take a breath in. And the body also requires that oxygen to perform many of its uh, physiologic functions. In addition, wound healing uh, requires a significant amount of oxygen. And if we don't have enough oxygen, we won't heal. So hyperbaric oxygen uh, will provide us with an increased amount of pressure, higher than normal atmospheric pressure where, where we're sitting right now. And in doing so, we're able to use a significant amount of oxygen and bring the tissue oxygen concentration to about 15 times normal than we have it right now. And we can achieve these values in a hyperbaric chamber. We cannot achieve those values even if we breathe 100% oxygen, such as using a mask that a patient may get in the emergency room. Even breathing 100% oxygen at atmospheric pressure will not bring the oxygen levels up significantly as it will when in a hyperbaric chamber under pressure. We talk about a, a hyperbaric chamber. I almost get the vision of like a, a submarine. What happens during a, sub, uh, a session and how does extra oxygen help the body heal? Well, the, uh, the submarine uh, look might be an adequate uh, description. Uh, we like to think of it more as uh, our chamber, at least at Phelps, is about the size of a 727 airplane. Wow. So um, what happens is with increased pressure, let's just take, for instance, the example of a garden hose. So if we turn our garden hose spigot on, the water kind of plops out the end of the hose. And that's more or less how the body normally drops oxygen off into the tissues. However, if we put a pressurized handle on the end of the hose and we squirt it, we'll get a lot more water at the same time. In addition, we'll also increase the distance of where that water goes. So in a hyperbaric chamber, we will actually increase the tissue oxygen concentration. All of the cells in your body will have approximately 15 times the amount of oxygen that it normally gets. And in cases where, let's say, vessels are blocked or um, uh, circulation can't get to a wound, we're able to deliver that oxygen to the wound because the distance of a trap traveling from capillaries out to the wound is significantly increased because of the pressure gradient that's created by the hyperbaric chamber. 
Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is approved as a treatment for several conditions. Those include anemia, severe burns, carbon monoxide poisoning, chronic wounds that won't heal, such as a diabetic foot ulcer, crush injuries, decompression sickness, gas, gangrene, radiation injury, skin graft flap, and risk of tissue death. John, how is it determined which conditions hyperbaric oxygen therapy can treat? Sure. Uh, there are 14 approved indications, and we've been publishing a journal uh, since 1976 uh, on those indications. And it's about 400 pages of, of action-packed science and, and data on, on those indications. From what I've heard, you know, being a layperson about hyperbaric um, uh, treatment is usually when I hear about um, firefighters or people with carbon monoxide uh, poisoning. Uh, Dr. O'Neill, how commonly is this used in healthcare, and are there a lot of centers like the one you have at Phelps? Well, um, it's it, it's not overly common in healthcare. Uh, I think it's become more common over the last, I would say, fifteen years. Uh, there have been more and more monoplace or single patient chamber centers opening up in hospitals, as well as some freestanding centers. Um, but the the specialty itself um, is a specialty that's not really taught in medical schools. There are a couple of medical schools, including New York Med, where I reside as well. Uh, they teach uh, hyperbarics in the school. It's not something that's learned during the curriculum. And if you don't have a hyperbaric chamber in your residency program, you won't learn about it there. But there are a significant number of programs, especially university programs now, with fellowship training and underseeing hyperbaric medicine. So the specialty is still uh, in the upward direction. Uh, we have increased the number of centers over the last, John, how many years? Uh, really, from about 2002 uh, to 2015, <clears throat> there was an exponential rise in programs. We have about 5,800 hospitals in the United States, and of those, maybe about 3,500 are large enough to actually have or house a unit. You have other hospitals that are uh, small rural hospitals that don't have the capacity for uh, for this kind of service. So. We grew through 2015, and uh, we kind of contracted, but we're actually on an upward trend again this year. Yeah, and, and the the chamber we have at Phelps is uh, one of the lar is the largest in the Northeast, but it's one of very few centers like it in the country. Uh, most of the hospitals are housing, like I said, one patient at a time hyperbaric chambers, where our chamber can sit 12 patients at once. It's about nine feet in diameter, 28 feet long. More importantly than having the largest hyperbaric chamber in the northeastern United States, I would say that we have one of the best hyperbaric trained teams in the country as well, people who have been doing it for quite some time. I'm, I'm doing it for 30 years, and I still have people with me who have been with me the entire 30 years. John, can you tell us a little more about the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society? Sure. Uh, the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society, or UHMS for short, was founded in 1967 as a section of uh, Aerospace Medical Association. And we stayed a section of asthma until uh, 1970, uh, 1974, and then uh, eventually to form our own organization as officially breaking off from them in 1976. And uh, so we are a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. We have approximately 2000 members and 30 from 35 countries. And we are uh, comprised of about 50% physician membership and about 50% non-physician. Uh, those are including technicians, nurses, therapists, um, et cetera. Wow. 
is this a one-time treatment or do you get multiple sessions in, in one of these chambers? It really depends on your diagnosis. So if, for instance, scuba diving is where we started, right? So if you come in with a scuba diving illness, i.e. decompression sickness, uh, you might require just one treatment, but that one treatment may last five and a half hours or longer. Um, if you have carbon monoxide poisoning, that might be three treatments within a 24-hour period. But most of the elective or everyday treatments that we perform as an extra treatment for the normal care patients are getting, uh, those treatments can be anywhere from 20 to 60. So for the most part, hyperbaric oxygen is not a quick fix in certain cases. Uh, it's a longer fix. Uh, but some of those uh, treatments that require a longer amount of time, hyperbaric oxygen is one of the only treatments for it. And just to paint a picture, you know, you, you described it before as like uh, a 727. What's it like when you're in the in, inside the hyperbaric chamber? Are you sitting down? Are you able to do things or you just sleep? How's yeah, it the, the hyperbaric chamber at our institution is a very comfortable chamber. It's uh, more or less like sitting in a first class airplane seat. Um, so you'll you'll be sitting in the seat. You'll be wearing a neck dam, which is or a neck ring, which is uh, a plastic holder of a rubber dam, which goes around your neck like a turtleneck would. And uh, the hood that you wear inside our chamber snaps down on top of that. Uh, the hood's very lightweight and see-through. Uh, during the course of the treatment, you could watch a movie, you could read a book, you could look at a magazine. Uh, our system has environmental control, so we do have air conditioning on compression. We have heat on the way up if it gets too cold. Um, and like I said, you can watch a movie, you can sleep, or you can read a book. What would be a scenario where you would have 12 people in the chamber at once? Uh, carbon monoxide poisoning is one. Yeah, family yeah, house, family house uh, a fireman involved in a, a bad fire. Yeah. Uh, certainly we, 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 have, uh, we have had 12 patients at once and it was a large family. Wow. When we're talking about conditions like uh, diabetes, uh, which would also be treated by a doctor specializing in that condition, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy a secondary treatment or can it be a primary treatment for some conditions? Uh, it's a primary treatment for a number of conditions. Uh, scuba diving illness is one. So if a diver gets decompression sickness, we're the only treatment for him. If he gets an air gas embolism or there's an air gas embolism in the hospital with certain procedures that we do now, we're the only treatment for that. I would go as far uh, as to include in that uh, radiation damage from radiation tissue because most of the treatments that occur in the hospital for patients with radiation damage, uh, for instance, radiation cystitis, which would be a, a radiation damage of the lining of the bladder, their symptoms may be significant bleeding and discomfort. So they may get admitted to the hospital to stop the bleeding, but all the treatments are to treat their symptoms. It's not treating their underlying problem, which is the radiation damage, and we are the only treatment that's going to fix that. Tell me exactly what radiation damage is. Okay, so um, the most important thing for patients who have cancer is to get rid of the cancer, right? So radiation therapy is there to dissolve tumors. Unfortunately, the good tissue around those tumors also is subjected to the radiation. Now, over the years, we've gotten a little bit better at that, but we still are not there yet. So when one person gets radiation, the patient gets radiation therapy, what happens is it creates an inflammation in the lining of the blood vessels in the area where they're radiated. So over a period of time, those blood vessels eventually coagulate or clot and disintegrate. So as time goes on, more and more of those vessels disintegrate. We wind up having very low oxygen tissue levels in those areas. Uh, we have the formation of new blood vessels in a, in a low oxygen medium, which don't function very well. They're very friable. 
And we also have a significant amount of scar tissue form, which we call fibrosis in medicine. So hyperbaric oxygen therapy over the long haul, again, we said not a quick fix. So over the long haul, that 20 to 60, uh, 40 to 60 sessions in radiation cases, we will grow new healthy vasculature uh, that will never go away. Unlike the radiated blood vessels that will continue to be destroyed throughout the patient's life. So the inflammatory process that's caused by radiation damage never goes away. It's always ongoing. And we don't know how fast it's going to occur. It occurs very slow in some folks and it occurs very fast in others. There's no way of telling which uh, uh, category a person's going to fall into. So we want to treat them uh, as best we can to grow as many new blood vessels as we can, to reduce as much fibrosis as we can, uh, to prevent them from having the symptoms of bleeding, discomfort, discomfort, or blockage. Dr. O'Neill, in addition to your role at Phelps, you do a lot of work outside of the healthcare setting. Specifically, you actually work in undersea medicine. Tell us a little bit about some of these activities that you're involved in outside of the hospital. Well, as the specialty is named undersea and hyperbaric medicine, uh, the undersea portion is uh, primarily taking care of uh, divers, commercial divers, recreational divers, and compressed air workers, uh, which are known as the sand hogs here in New York, right? So um, one of the big uh, aspects of the undersea world right now is tunneling. So we have a lot of space occupied above ground, so we're starting to go below ground. And unlike they did in the uh, older days, in the late 1800s and 19, early 1900s, uh, we no longer dig tunnels by hand. We dig them with what's called a tunnel boring machine or a TBM for short. And these TBMs are digging and moving forward, and they're creating a round space, and they are actually building the concrete tunnel behind it. But the cutters and rippers and the tools in the front of this machine get worn down every now and then. And it does still require humans to go in and repair them, replace them, and fix them. So these tunnel boring machines have hyperbaric chambers actually built right into the front of them so that when they have to stop tunneling to repair things, the commercial divers are then called in or the compressed air workers, Sandhog Union workers are called in to be pressurized into the hyperbaric chamber and go out the other side to work in the front and then come back into the hyperbaric chamber at the end of their shift and be decompressed. So when that happens, when they have to stop to fix this machine, uh, my medical team gets called and we fly wherever that might be, whatever state it might be here in the United States or whatever country it might be. And we go there and we, uh, we take a look at the depth of the job. We write the compression, the decompression schedule for the workers. We tell them how long they can work out in front of the machine. And in addition, we examine the workers. We want to know what kind of health they're in. We make sure that they have their uh, ADC, Diving Committee phys Physicals, performed on a yearly basis, make sure they had all their testing done beforehand, make sure they feel well the day they're going into to, to dive. Uh, we don't call it a treatment here. We do call it a dive. And then uh, once they're fit, we, we send them in, we compress them in, uh, then we decompress them, we take them out, we examine them again, then we let them stay around with us for an hour because it can still be about an hour before decompression sickness sets in. So we examine them again one hour after they exit the chamber. Once they're cleared, uh, they're given some information, some health tips, and they're, they're sent home. And they usually come back the following day at the same time for their shift again. And this is an ongoing 24-7 service that we provide 
um, uh, until the front of the machine is workable again and they can start tunneling again. Wow, it's fascinating. And and when you talk about the Sandhogs right here in New York City, they were doing that for the, I guess, the East End access to Grand Central for the subways. That's correct. We're currently in a job in Los Angeles. And before that, uh, we actually worked on the Big Bertha project out in Seattle, which was the largest tunnel boring machine in the world. It was five and a half stories in diameter. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Fun stuff. How does a patient who has a chronic illness um, get hooked up with hyperbaric treatment? What we're doing today is we're trying to educate the community, which I think is a very important item because patients don't need to have their own physician refer them. They can come on their own. Even if they're not sure we can help them, we'd be happy to sit down with them and tell them how we can or how we can't help them and maybe direct them in the in the proper direction. Um, so patient education, I think uh, community education is crucial. Ongoing and continued physician education regarding hyperbarics is important, and I've been doing that for 30 years. It does tend to keep us fairly busy, but we have certainly seen a number of patients now come in self-referred, some for the right reason, some for the wrong reason. But um, in my practice, I'd rather see 100 patients in my office that feel hyperbaric oxygen might be beneficial to them. And even if I only treat one patient, at least that's one patient we didn't miss. Yeah. Yeah, it's important that UHMS, as on a global scale, is working to educate uh, other specialties too. So, it is a multidisciplinary effect uh, and and, uh, an effort, uh, really, where we're working with other specialists um, who are who also own the same patients. Who uh, we're working with them to uh, address one condition that they have potentially of a basket of several. And so it, it's a, it really is kind of a, from a global st- standpoint, whether we're working with uh, family practice or uh, general surgery, emergency medicine, other specialists. That's awesome. Is this something that insurance covers? Uh, insurance does cover uh, many of the diagnoses. As John mentioned earlier, the, the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society has a list of about 14 acceptable indications for treatment. Medicare um, maybe doesn't cover a few of those uh, items, but most private insurance companies do cover it. Yeah. What, what are the risks of hyperbaric oxygen therapy? So, you know, the hyperbaric oxygen treatments are probably uh, one of the safest treatments we have in healthcare today. Uh, the important point, like most things in medicine, is patients are evaluated properly by a, a board-certified or a, a fellowship-trained uh, or experienced hyperbaric physician. There are very few things that can uh, adversely affect the patient. The first thing is pressure. So we all know that we can feel pressure in our ears just swimming to the bottom of a 10-foot pool or driving in the car in the mountains. So when we pressurize the chamber, uh, most patients will feel the pressurization in their ears and they're taught how to uh, overcome the pressure. Uh, There are a number of ways of doing that and it becomes a very infrequent problem. Um, Secondly would be things like claustrophobia, confinement, anxiety, and that would occur in the one patient at a time chambers more so than the chamber we have at Phelps. Uh, But, you know, people can be talked out of claustrophobia, confinement, anxiety, even in a a monoplace chamber, and they can be treated for that as well with medication. Lastly, at times we make the distance vision after 30 treatments or so, we can make the distance vision a little blurry. If you wear readers, glasses to read, we make the reading vision better. We may not need the glasses. Uh, those are all temporary changes, and they can come back to normal anywhere within two to six weeks of completing treatment. 
and uh, oxygen toxicity. I even um, I even think about not even talking about uh, oxygen toxicity because it happens so infrequently in a clinical hyperbaric chamber. But oxygen toxicity can occur. Uh, it can uh, be a neuromuscular irritant. Uh, we can also see patients uh, that could have a seizure from oxygen. So anybody who comes to us with a history of seizures that requires the treatment, remember, do no harm to the patient. So if they require that treatment, and we know that treatment's going to either save their life or save their limb, and they have a seizure history or they're taking seizure medications, we'll discuss that with the patients and we'll eventually treat them. But if you have no seizure history, your chances of having a seizure from oxygen toxicity in a hyperbaric chamber, textbooks will tell you 1 in 10,000. My practice tells me about 1 in 18,000. So you probably have a better chance of getting bitten by a shark walking out to your car tonight when you leave the studio. That does it for part one of this interview with Dr. Owen O'Neill and John Peters. Part two will be available next Wednesday, November 30th on your favorite podcast app. Remember to subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk to stay up to date with the latest news and developments in healthcare. I'm Rob Hoyle. Stay safe and have a great day.